Heavenly Father, we claim that we want to enjoy the freedom that you've created for us. Freedom that actually brings us joy and peace and love to each other. Freedom that transforms our hearts and our communities. God gives us strength and courage to grab hold of that freedom. In Jesus' name. got a few things that we want to address before we dive straight into our messages and our message, our final message today on Galatians, uh, ending the entire series here. But a couple of things I want to address with you guys first, and one of them involves uh, what we would refer to as an internal side joke ourselves and a great thing as well, the great advent movement. Uh, and so we're talking about membership transfers, people coming in, people coming out, people saying, I really enjoy this church, I really enjoy other churches, and I'd like to, I've moved to different places. So these are membership transfers into Boulder. And uh, so what I'm gonna do is, I've, we've put them in the bulletin thousands of times to you guys, we've emailed it out to you. If you haven't seen it, then you know, it's because you haven't read it. Um, and so I'd encourage you to read the, the bulletin that he's emailed to you, but these are the names. Uh, Aaron Heap, uh, transferring in from Campion, and Ken and Kelly and Keaton Lee from Minnesota Seventh Adventist Church in Minnesota, Clark and Kathy McCrane from University Parkway Church, and Jared Stafford uh, from Keene Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, John Van Patten, or I should say W. John Van Patten to be precise, just in case there was another John Van Patten you were worried about from uh, Colorado Central Korean Seventh-day Adventist Church. So if you are in favor of having these people transfer their membership and to join our community here and to eventually take up some kind of role in leadership as well, just raise your hand. And anybody opposed by the same sign? There's always some smart person's like, yeah, I'm gonna show you, but no, nobody this time. I'm sorry, welcome, welcome. We're really glad you guys are here. And uh, if, of course, anybody else is interested in transferring the membership, you just have to fill in the Connect card and that will help us be able to process that as well. Everybody needs uh, the worship guide, so I wanna make sure you have one. If you don't, put your hands up and uh, they will pass out a worship guide to you guys. So I wanna make sure everybody's got one of those. Inside the worship guide today as well um, is the final week of when we would like you to be able to fill in the slip and place all the names of the people that you recommend uh, for, I was just worried slightly, but it works, uh, for the nominating committee. And so once you've filled in that slip for the nominating committee, you can just tear it off and you can put it in our offering altars, which are not out. So, FYI, uh, we need the offering altars to be taken out. There should be one here. There should be two at the back then, if we could have those taken out. The direction that we're moving, just so you know this, is that we're eventually going to use just the offering altars. And so I'd like to encourage you to think about putting your offerings and your tithes, for those of you who like to do that manually, inside these offering altars. So this is where you put your Connect card in. This is always also where you put your recommendations. Anybody going to be in the Boulder Boulder? Good. Good. Anybody going to be volunteering to help us? Oh, that was less. All right. So I'd like to encourage you to volunteer to join one of the uh, stations. You can go find our church. And if you're not quite sure where to go, then you see Greg Hodgson at the back there with the blue shirt right on the back row. Uh, see Greg. Volunteer. Everybody who volunteers not only gets a T-shirt, but you make a donation to the church as well. I think it's about $20, 25 to help youth ministry here, and so it's a great thing. I encourage you to do so. The deadline is Tuesday. Now, I know that you all brought different pairs of shoes today, right? 
because you're ready to go out straight after fellowship lunch and to deliver the 2,000 postcards, right? How many of you brought an umbrella as well? Good, all right, we'll talk about that in a minute because we've got to come to that. But uh, we are in Galatians, so let's, uh, let's dive into the book of Galatians. I hope you read 5 and 6. If not, you got the chance to be able to listen to Patty express 5 and 6 through us. This is a great uh, couple of chapters here, a lot of insight inside here. When we dealt with chapters 1 and 2 at the beginning of the series, we looked at the authority and we looked at the theology, and we looked at Paul saying, come on, be consistent. Who you are in private and who you are in public, those things should come together. Then we looked last week at Galatians 3 and 4, and we said, hey, there's the theology of salvation. There's the idea that we belong, and because we belong, we must be one and we must bring one. We must be connected to everything that God has laid down. It's a great story to know that what God has done for you, therefore you must share that with other people as well. But today... Galatians 5 and 6, the end of the entire letter, as Paul said, as Patty mentioned, we'll see what large letters I write. He's coming to the point where he's saying, look, there's got to be some feet to this, right? There's got to be some practical explanation of what it really looks like. What is that reality? What does it look like when you say, I am really with the gospel, I follow the gospel, I'm connected to the gospel, the gospel lives inside me, does it even matter? Question number one inside your worship guide here. Back of the page here, you'll see the recalibrate questions. And question number one is this. Do we follow Jesus today for the promise of the future, the present, or both? Do we follow Jesus today for the promise of the future, the present, or both? Which kind of asks the question, is there anything really compelling about following Jesus? I mean, is there a compelling argument that if I gave you this sentence or this argument, you would like... I'm done, I'll go follow Jesus because you have just hit my head, not my heart, my head, and now I know for sure that I will follow Jesus Christ. Well, the church is not a, a commodity that we can sell. That's the difficulty, right? The church is not one of these products that has a, a sell-by date that if we sell it by this point here, then it will work. The church is not even our own invention. The best we can do when telling people about the church is create a marketing presence of awareness. That's the best we can do. I mean, that's what we try to do. We, we do it with our website. It's boulder.church. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not hard to remember. What is it? Boulder.church. Done. You can go search in Google. Boulder Church. You find it. It's a shock. It's there. You know, we just do very simple. Twitter accounts, the same thing. Boulder Church. Our Instagrams, Boulder Church. Everything is just very, very simple online. Just awareness for you. And we're trying all the time, even with our emails and with our bulletin, everything to make it as simple as possible for you to remember boulder.church. Even our logos and our look, the whole lot. Awareness. No problem with that at all. We're going to put out some cards that I mentioned, right? And I was hoping a few of you would help us, even though it's raining. And if you're not able to stay behind in the rain and help us out, then please see Shelby because she has prepared... 2,000 of these postcards, she's created an entire map with 11 routes. It's like the old and gathering days. Does anybody remember those? Where you had like little routes that you knew where you were going to knock on the doors and say, help us out with a charity and save these kids everywhere. And that's exactly what she's done. She's done like a secret and gathering map. And it has our district here, our area here, just around Boulder, uh, around our church right here, where you can go and choose a street and put these cards on the door and just let people know that the Sanitas lectureships are taking place next week. We're going to do this every month, just in case you think, oh, I missed it this month. We're going to do this every month. It's just awareness, so don't feel bad, you know. Just look forward to the fact that you need to bring comfortable shoes and, and to be able to share this. One, next month, we're going to share 
that the VBS, the Vacation Bible School, is going to take place. We're also going to tell everybody in the community that we have classes here, Bible study classes for all ages, of all kids, that if you want, Saturday morning, you think to yourself, what shall I do with my kids that could teach them some really good values? Drop them off at Boulder Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we will help them for an hour and just infuse the love of God into their life. So we're going to advertise that. Then in July, we're going to tell them about Boulder one-to-one. And in August, we're going to have a new card with all the photos of all the pastors and all the things that we offer. Because I don't know if the community knows anything that the church actually offers, whether it's marriage counseling or whether it's just like a cuddle or just like a high five or whether it's anything of that kind of practical way that we can do this. So we're going to do that every month, every month. You can, I know, I can see you're excited. It's really good. That's really good. So is it about the future, Christianity, or is it actually about the present? If it is about the future and only about the future, if the reason you become a follower of Jesus is because of the future only, well then, you don't really care about the world. You don't care about your community here. You don't even think about how to have a stronger life. If it's about the present day, it's all about right now, then, then you think to yourself, well, I don't really care about what's happening globally. I don't think really care about the legacy I'm gonna leave. I just care about right now. Jesus says that the church and us in Christianity and following him is about both the future and the present. Both of them combined together. And Paul can't let go of this vision. This is why he comes through in chapter five. He just, he is on fire. He wants you to know two things about the whole book. If you forget everything else, he wants you to explain this. This is the nature of religion and this is how you live it. This is the message and this is the experience. This is the truth and this is the practice of the truth. This is Jesus, and this is live love. Subtle hint. Do you see that? I just threw that in there. <gasps> I may know where he's going. Yes, you may. <laughs> this is what he's saying. He's saying there is this intense, beautiful gospel, and you've got to know how to live this out in your life. So, chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, for freedom, as we just sang, as we heard read as well, for freedom, Christ has set us free. This is page 673 in those Bibles in the pew. You're welcome to pull it out and join us. For, for chapter 5, verse 1, page 673. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to your yoke of slavery. He says, look, I want you to understand how important this is. Which brings us to question number two in the recalibrate questions here. here. What prevents us from committing fully to Jesus? What prevents us from committing fully to Jesus? When you know this message, what stops you back? And Paul says, it's slavery. And you're thinking, I'm not a slave. Well, maybe you think you're not a slave, but you kind of like the idea of slavery. You don't really want the freedom in Jesus. What you really want is to be in control of your life, except for your life is not controllable by yourself. So you just think, I want this kind of stuff. It's like, you imagine Christianity is this huge boulder, like a huge rock, and you want to move this rock. And Jesus says, uh, I can move the rock for you. And you're like, no, <laughs> I got this. And you're pushing, and you're pushing, and you're like, oh, and nothing happens. You're putting all your effort into pushing this. And Jesus is saying, let me initiate the movement. I'll move this rock. And as the rock is moving, let me help you hold it in place. And you're like, no, I can handle this rock. And the rock is just moving along and it's crushing your ankles and rolling back on you. And you're like, no, I can do this. This is what Jesus is saying. You don't get it. It's like freedom in me. I'm the one who's going to move this along. But chapter 5, verse 3 says this. I testify again. 
man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, he says, you, you think it's about this circumcision stuff. Well, if you're going to do this, do it all the way. Take it all on. So what is circumcision today? <laughs> I know you're thinking, I know what it is. No, no, I mean metaphorically, not literally. What is circumcision today? What is the, the thing that they were like trying to hold on that made a noose around their neck that was like a slavery to them? What is it the descriptor that they thought, ah, oh, if I did this, then I will be holy, then I will be mature in Jesus Christ. I think today what we do is we, we, we apply things like veganism. Yeah, some of you become vegans because that's your circumcision. Some of you become meat eaters because that's your circumcision. No, I'm serious. Some of you actually even give tithes and offerings because that's your circumcision. I'm going to just earn my way into heaven. I'm going to give the tithe and offerings. Some of you will study your Sabbath school quarterly just so that you can make sure that you know everything and let people know that is your circumcision. In other words, as Paul says later on, I'm not even talking about circumcision I don't really care whether you get circumcised or not. It's never been about that. It's about the motive behind the diet. It's about the motive behind the tithes and the offerings. It's about the motive behind studying your Sabbath school quarterly. It's to be understanding what drives you to choose those things. Because the difficulty is that we are constantly making them in the wrong order, and so we don't understand that it's coming where it's coming from. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're fully committed to me, if you allow me to be inside you, if you allow me to live inside you, then when you do these things, they're birthed out of the right motive, not because you want to kind of earn your salvation, but because you're responding to the fact that you are saved. And so you will give tithes and offerings. Did you see how I mentioned that one out of the three? Yeah, I could have brought the other two up, but I didn't. I brought that one up three times. When you mention it three times, it's significant. Mm. Yeah, so tithes and offerings, these are really important. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. How, how can that be? Because surely there must be something that I do, right, to earn the salvation. Because it can't just be that simple. I think sometimes the problem is, is that we feel that Christianity really runs like this. I sin, and I ask God for forgiveness. I sin and I ask God for forgiveness. I sin, and I ask God for forgiveness. I sin, and I ask God for forgiveness. And it's just like endless. That's what Christianity is. It's just like you sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, over and over and over again. If that was Christianity, it would be a country song. It just repeats itself over and over again. There's never any solution of joy. Now, I like country music. Don't get me wrong. It's nice, just depressing. And so it's just like, you know, every country song always ends with the same thing. Help me. I'm going to write another song to express the same pain I went through last time. And this is what we do with Christianity. We allow ourselves to be in this eternal cycle. But Jesus is saying in chapter 5, verse 6, through Paul here, for in Christ, Jesus says this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. Paul is saying, you've got to live love through faith. Which brings us to our question number three. And this is the big question that we wrestle with most often. How do we know, truly know, if we are following Jesus? I mean, how do you know? What is the marker 
And we do these things because we like these markers, and we make these little symbols, and we, we decide little things, and we even decide about other people what the markers are. But how do you know if you're really following Jesus? And the truth is, what Paul is saying here, change happens. Something changes. You don't just sin, forgive, sin, forgive, sin, forgive. Change happens. Things start to take place. You start to mature. The problem is, is that we want to reach the point of maturity overnight. We want one prayer, Jesus saved me, done, and now I'm saved, done. No, God is saying it's a journey. It's like the fruit that grows. The fruit takes life to grow. We need time to be able to go through this. But we hesitate through that because we really don't want all the change to take place. When was the last time that you prayed, all right? And I'm not talking about the prayer that you do when you pray over your meal, or the prayer you do when you just get up in the morning, you're kind of half awake and you're thinking about the day, you talk to God for 30 seconds and then you roll out of bed. I'm not talking about the prayer that you, you do in front of people to make sure that they look like you're holy, that kind of thing. I'm talking about the prayer where you've gone on your knees and you said, God, I just need you to understand who I am and I need you to actually transform me. These are the sins that I have. When was the last time you asked God for forgiveness? Or are you doing so well that you actually don't need to ask God for forgiveness? Are you feeling like God is just like out there and you only go to him in the emergency case? When was the last time your prayer was groaning like we talked about last week, where you're groaning to God and saying, God, this is who I am. These are the things that nobody else sees. People may think this is together, but in my soul, this is what I actually am struggling with. And I need your help with that. Jesus understands this and he pushes us in this way. I gave you this illustration quite a while ago, and I'm going to share this with you one more time because I think this is significant. There are people like us who are on the left. This is my left, just in case you don't know. My left, your left, this is my left. Just, it's complicated if I try to turn it around. There are people on the left, and they're very comfortable on the left because on the left side, we can grumble, and we can groan and and complain, and we can be disengaged from church, and we can just say, I'm too cool for church. You know, I'm on the left. Then there are the people who are over here on the right. And they are, oh man, they just groan and they grumble and they complain. And they just said, I'm just too holy to be with these people over here. But there is safety when you have a very clear marker of what it is to be committed to Jesus. There is safety when you're over here and you're committed to Jesus and you say, this is what it looks like because you have decided what it looks like. And the platform, by the way, is huge over here. It's like a huge circle that you could turn around and everything is fine. And you're thinking, I really love the left. Man, I'm so liberal and free and those people over there, they're just chained up. And these people are like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm just so happy that I'm, I'm just angry that they're just not following the way that I'm doing things, but I'm happy because I know everything is right here. That's where I am. And those two people live on the extremes of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Jesus has uh, this really beautiful, thin, thin rope. Like, I mean, it's just a sliver right in between. And he says, I want you to walk this tightrope all the way across, and I want you to kind of stand in the middle and just hang on. And you're thinking, well, okay, I'm not too sure if I enjoy being fully committed to Jesus, and being fully committed to Jesus means that I'm going to look this particular way where I'm just staying right in the middle inside here. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I want you to hang on here. And you're like, I'm going to fall over. I need those special shoes. Or, and Jesus says, I've got a tool for you. 
And you're thinking, it's going to be one of those sticks, right? So I can cross the Niagara Falls, and I'm just gently walking across. And he says, no, 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 it's not a stick. I've got this great tool for you. It's a balloon. It's a helium balloon. And you're thinking, this is not strong enough to hold me on this tightrope. And she's saying, you got to have trust in this balloon. Oh, man, this balloon's amazing. And Jesus is saying, it may not look powerful in your worldview. You may have a picture of God where he's not, he's not strong, he's not engaged, or he's silent, or he's absent. But he's saying, man, this balloon, this is it. You hold on to this. You won't be going over to the left, and you won't be going over to the right. You just hold on to this. And if you hold on to this, everything's going to be fine, and I'm going to take care of you. And you just need to trust me that I know what I'm doing here. And you're thinking to yourself, this is not good. But in the Bible, Paul says this, that as you do this, sometimes, though, things happen and you get distracted. And you think to yourself, why did I get distracted? What happened? I was focusing so much on you, Jesus, but then, but then these people came along, and he uses the metaphor of the race, right? He says this down here in Galatians 5, he says, you're running along, and somebody trips you up, and you're like, where's Jesus? And you're suddenly falling over over this side here, or the least and the leavened bread, and you fall over this side here. And then he says, some of you get hung up on this circumcision. And, I, <laughs> and Paul, Paul gets kind of carried away a little bit here. Verse 12, he says, I wish that those of you who were distracted by this, who don't hold on to Jesus anymore, I wish that you would just go and emasculate themselves, themselves, these agitators. Remember we talked about this last week, the agitators? So he's saying, you're going to do circumcision? No, 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 forget it. Take the whole thing off. Just go ahead. Now, you're thinking to yourself, well, Paul, he must be using a metaphor right now. I mean, he doesn't really mean that, does he? Until you read in Acts chapter 19, when in Acts chapter 19, they were worshiping Artemis, the multi-breasted goddess, and focus now, the, and, and they're worshiping her, and as these men who are worshiping her actually castrated themselves. 5,000 men laid their tackle down on her altar. That's what they did, because this is how they worshiped her. So Paul's really trite true. He understands this. He knows exactly what's going on. He's saying, look... You are distracted, and because you're distracted, it's just gone. And I know that you're worried about this, but I need you to remember that this distraction takes place because you are not living what I have called you to. These powerful verses come up in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And I love how Patty included brothers and sisters, because the Greek actually implies brothers and sisters as well. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. This is what it means to be fully committed to Jesus Christ, to serve one another through love. And then he says, for the whole law, because Paul has never demolished the law, he just says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And you would expect, when you see a colon and you see a sentence like that, he's just going to give you one word, right? And Paul doesn't know how to say one word, so he says a sentence. <laughs> And in this sentence, he is focusing, obviously, on one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking about this love that it has to be real, and this is how you know that you are following Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of different types of love in the, Greek, in, in the Bible, and in the Greek, there are four types. There's the eros, which is between couples, and, and that's not the word used here. 
There's the philia, which is between uh, friends that we have. We love our friends, and that's not used inside here. There's the one as well that's related to parental love between parents and kids and kids with their parents. The love that he's using here is agape, and this is the reason why we celebrate our communion services. We sometimes call them an agape feast because it's a celebration of the love. The agape love is a love that is enduring, lasts forever, never goes away, stays strong with you through all things, faithful. This kind of love is what he's talking about. So I was excited about this, and I started to search for other elements in the, in the Bible where he talks about this love. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 to 35. In your Bibles in the pews, page 622. John chapter 13. And there's lots of other stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and other places in the Bible, but John chapter 13 is pretty significant for us right now. Verses, 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. And Jesus is expressing this to them. He says this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what many people have often thought when they read this text, they said, well, this is clearly talking about what Jesus says it looks like when you're a follower of Jesus. You love everybody. You love absolutely everybody in the whole community. You love your neighbors and your people that you work at work with, your bosses and your colleagues and your children and your friends' children and everybody. You just love everybody. But Jesus is not talking about that. This love that he repeats four times and this one another that he repeats three times inside here, he's talking about a community that loves one another. Verses 13, 34 and 35 here is, is based on, first of all, the great and graphic example of foot washing that he does first. I know that some of you have thought to yourself, why do we do foot washing when we celebrate communion here? And you thought, that's a little bit weird. I mean, seriously, isn't there a better way that we could do this? Maybe we could just like make our hands dirty and just shake hands and wash each other's hands. I mean, feet, really? Is there a fetish that's going on here? Is there something weird that we don't understand? But this is the truth inside here. Jesus takes the most difficult example, which was considered the most dirty part because your feet were covered in dust and manure and all sorts of stuff, and he washes their feet, graphically showing them that this is how he loves them and how he will be with them. And that's why we do the same thing before we celebrate communion. We say there's a level playing field. Together we come together and we say we wash each other's feet and we say this is valuable to us. We want to use a graphic example of this kind of stuff. And Jesus says this, look, enjoy the source. Enjoy the source here. Enjoy the source, which is Jesus. Enjoy the people, which is the goal of this. Frederick Brunner, when he's retranslating this particular text, and he tries to say, let's just go to the Greek and, and kind of like make it as literal as you can inside there, which doesn't sound as nice, but has some kind of powerful words. This is what he says. This verse here, keep on loving one another out of the well of my love for you. Come on, keep on loving one another. Do you understand what he's saying? The love doesn't come because you have decided to love someone. The love comes because Jesus Christ is inside you. And it is from a well. And the well is where the source is. Jesus says, I am the source of this. And when it's inside you, you will love one another. And he says this, the, the key thing is this, this is how they will know that you are my people, right? So in other words, he's not talking about the world. He's just talking about the church. He's just talking about us. The world does not know that we are fairly committed to Jesus because we love God. The world doesn't know that. 
The world doesn't know that we're fully committed to Jesus because we read the Bible. The world doesn't know that we're fully committed to Jesus because we go to church. The world knows that we're fully committed to Jesus because we love each other and we look after each other. You want to be part of the mission and vision of Boulder Seventh-day Adventist Church? Live love. That's what it is. That's what he's calling us to. The developers who are working on the property um, are going to hold a meeting here at the church on June 6. And um, they're going to present their final plans before they present it to the council at the end of June. So we don't know what all those final plans are. Lots of great rumors flying around. We've seen some drafts of what they're suggesting, including like an underground parking lot and uh, right where it is here or something else. And, but we don't know yet. We're waiting to see what happens. And June 6, I invite you to come along and listen and see what they're presenting as their proposal of what they're going to do with the hospital site right next to us. So as we're discussing this, some people talked about, well, we have shared parking space. That's our easement, right? Until Jesus comes back, we have the spot right here. Well, yeah, it is shared parking space, which means it's shared. It's not just us. And so it could become tighter once a lot more people start to work here and, and operate here. It could become harder for us to be able to park all our cars here. There's no doubt about that at all. So people have said, well, you know, maybe we should revisit the question, which we, we seem to do here every three days. Uh, should we move? Uh, or should we sell, move from Boulder and go somewhere else? And maybe we should go to Vista Ridge and plant a church right next to the door to Vista Ridge and move Boulder there. And here's the thing. I actually think there should be a church in Erie. There should be a church maybe even right at Vista Ridge. There's no problem with that. It's great to have more churches. Churches that are local to communities, fantastic. All in favor of that. But my friends, this is our soil. All right? This is our territory. We have to work the soil we're in. And it feels like we're in exile. It feels rough. People don't know us. Yesterday, I took my son's bike down to University Bicycle Shop, right? Uh, just down here on Pearl Street on um, Pearl Street and Ninth, uh, I think it is, right on the corner. And I was asking him to tape up some the handlebars, and the guy was asking me my name, and and so I was telling him my name, and I said, my name's Japed, and so and he said, oh, that's a really interesting name. Who would have ever thought of that name? I said, well. Noah, um, and so <laughs> I said, Noah thought of that name, and he was like, oh, yeah, I, I always thought of it as Japheth. And I said, yeah, my parents took the H off at the end. They thought Tumalong. They had a really long middle name for me. All of, all of my brothers have the same middle name, Jalvinson, which is Jalvin, my dad, and I'm his son. So all of us boys were Jalvinson as our middle name. Very original. And so... Um, I explained to him, so I said, oh, I'll never forget Japheth because it's Noah's son. That's really great. His name is Joshua and all that kind of stuff. I said, so having a good day? I said, yeah, you know, it's a good day and it's great to be local. And he said, oh, you, you work local? I said, yeah, just top of the hill, around the corner, top of the hill, you know, the church up there. He said, that building? That building's empty. I said, awkward. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're working here all the time. But they perceive that because the hospital's not being used, that we're just part of this hospital, and therefore because that's not being used, we're not being used, and we're not everything. And in fact, they don't see us separated from that. They don't have an identity for the church. And this guy's lived here for years in Boulder. So I explained to him, no, 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 Josh, you haven't got that right. Let me explain. <laughs> this is our church, and this is who we are, and we're there, and we're not moving. I, we could call a business meeting right now. Done. I see how we voted so quickly. 
It was amazing. We're not moving. You know why we're not moving? This is our soil. These people here deserve to hear the gospel too. All right? And Erie, they deserve to hear the gospel too. We should do more. If we can, let's do it. If we can't, let's work with what we have here. Because I guarantee you this, if we pack up and we move out somewhere, anywhere, you want to call it, wherever it is, in five years from now, we're going to turn around and say, man, we need to go to a church plant. Where? Boulder. And then we're like, how? Impossible. <laughs> now we have the territory. We have the space. We have the legacy. We're part of the historic building of this entire community. The problem is the community has never heard us because we have only focused on the 99 and not the one the one that left, and we need to focus on everyone, on ourselves and the community at large, and God's saying, when you love each other and you lift each other up, you will be able to do this. He continues in Galatians here really beautifully, he continues in, he says, look, just in case you're worried about being over here and over here and you're just not too sure about this, let me just tell you this, when the Holy Spirit is not with you, you start to do all sorts of crazy things. And the list of sins that he lists here, these are sins all centered on your egocentric approach, just about yourself. They're not serving others, they're just about yourself. And he says, look, when the Holy Spirit, in verse 22, is in you, he says this, uh, verse 22, no, actually, verse 20, yeah, by the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. In fact, you would think that it's just a list of sequence of importance, or a list of sequence of, of of describing words that just kind of give you characteristics, but he says this in the Greek, the word love is like a, a stem of the plant. It's the root. And out of love comes joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he says all of this is taking place in there. You choose the cross in chapter five, verse 24. Choose the cross instead of the crowd. Brings us to question number four. It is easier to see is it easier to see that Jesus is missing in others than ourselves? It is, right? Uh, of course. We are so good at telling whether somebody is with Jesus or not, but ourselves we struggle with because our focus has been on the left or the right. And it's sometimes you wonder where Jesus is and you're thinking, I was kind of connected and I was holding on, but it was so scary out here, so I ended up over on the right side over here or I ended up on the left side. And Jesus is saying, there's always a thread. I'm always here. You can always connect to me. It's really quite simple. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just visibly right here all the time. You may think it's really thin, but it's strong. This thread never breaks, never goes away. I'm always connected and you can hold on to me. And when you hold on to me, I'm guaranteeing you that I will stay connected to you and I hold you in this tension point inside here. That's what Jesus is trying to say to us over and over again. I'm gonna tie it around here just to make sure that you understand this, this is real, he's not going anywhere. That was just kind of weird, I'm gonna move it up so I can see Gordy's face. There you go, good, all right, there you go. It's true, always Jesus saying, I'm not that far away. You just have to hold on to me. And the problem is, is that we, we kind of run away from that. And so we do find it much easier to be able to look at somebody else than focusing on the balance inside here. Galatians chapter 6, the final chapter here of this whole thing, Paul kind of brings it to a conclusion. And he says this, look, you got to carry each other. And the word he uses is the burden. He says you got to carry each other's burdens. You know what a burden is? In the Greek word, it's a, it's a crushing weight. It's a weight that's just overwhelming, that's just on top of you. You cannot handle that by yourself. And there are people in our family right now 
who are feeling a crushing burden on their soul. And there's a lot going on in their life. And we know who they are. And we together need to carry that load. They are not alone. And the Bible also tells us that there's a backpack that you have, your own load, and sure enough, you've got to be able to take care of your own stuff, but there are times when this load is just your backpack, it's just not, it's the whole crushing weight on top of you. And Jesus says, if you love and you serve each other, you will help carry each other's burdens. You will take all the tension that they're going on and saying, I am with you. You may not be able to remove the burden, but you will help carry the burden with them. So there are other physical things where sometimes you just need money or you need time or you need somebody just to embrace you, just to hold you. The healing touch of somebody saying, I love you and I understand that you're in pain and together we will be in pain together. Or there's the social where you wanna belong to a life group or you wanna belong to a community or you even wanna have some friends. You know how many people have come up to me and said, I don't have any friends in the church. That breaks my heart that we don't have any friends, but we need to have friends where we look after each other. It's great to see that Earl is back in church. See Earl? Can you hear me, Earl? Yep, I'm talking to you, man. That's good. It's great to see that Earl is back in church. He's been away. Cindy Morgan, phenomenal force. Other people as well who've taken care of Earl, been in contact with his family and made sure that he is good and welcome back. And this is good. And this is how we live and we serve each other and we love each other. And God is saying, I need to be able to do that with you. I need to drive that kind of source inside you. Next weekend, Friday night, this Friday coming up, Sabbath. And then Monday, for those of you who actually can take time off work, we're gonna do the Sanitas Lectureship. Now you may think it's just a lecture and it's just a talk. The reason why we're investing funds and time and energy is because I promise you this, that when you hear Lawrence Turner open out the first testament, the story of God to you, you will leave here saying to yourself, I've gotta go read the first testament again. You will. You will be inspired to go back to the Bible and discover God for yourself because the character of God has been destroyed by so many different images and God is saying, you trust me, I will take you through this. As soon as we finish that series, in two weeks' time, straight after that, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit here because I think it's something that we never talk about, the silent partner, something inside here. But for every single phase, as I thought about this, I thought every single phase of our life, we respond to God differently. And how do I translate this as best as I can? So here we're gonna go, follow me with the screen. I'm gonna go through a lot of detail when it comes to one to 18. After 18, we're gonna speed up really quickly because life speeds up and it's over. All right, here we go. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Zero to one, zero to one. The phase when nobody sleeps. Get ready for this, guys. Everybody smells, but one mesmerizing baby convinces you, I need you now, right? This is zero to one. Use this time to pour great words of love of Jesus into your babies, to talk to them. And as you talk about who Jesus is, not understanding what the words mean to the baby, as your voice enunciates the joy of it, it will come into your own heart because you will remind yourself that Jesus loves you. One to two, the phase when nobody's on time, everything's a mess, and one eager toddler will insist, I can do it right? I can do it. This is one to two. Use this time to actually believe in them and remind yourself that Jesus believes in you too, and you can do it. Three to four, this phase when anything can be imagined, everything is a game. One curious preschooler wants to know why, 
And they'll say, why? Why this? Why that? You know what you should do? Use this time to ask questions of Jesus yourself. Encourage your child to ask questions of Jesus himself or herself. Constantly searching for Jesus because Jesus is searching for us even more. Kindergarten first, the phase when unfiltered words make you laugh. You know, the kids say things that are just like, whoa, that was really funny and awkward. Let's not record that. Homework makes you cry. <laughs> and life becomes a stage when the kid shouts out, look at me, look at me. Use that time to go to Jesus and say, check me, understand me. Ask your friends to check your sanity, your own life. Are you in connection with Jesus Christ? Second and third, the phase when fairness matters most and differences get noticed and your enthusiastic kid thinks everything sounds like fun. And second and third, use this time to laugh in Jesus. We don't do enough of that to enjoy the fun side of Jesus as well. Fourth and fifth, the phase when friends are best friends and games are for competition and your confident kid will insist, I got this. That's what they do. I got this. In a sec, everything's fine. Use the time to learn to trust Jesus more. Remove your self-reliance and say, yeah, I haven't got this. I need you, Jesus. Sixth, the phase when there's never enough groceries, the fridge empties out all the time, too many hormones and dramatic kid moments that need someone to prove who cares about me. This is the time to remind yourself that Jesus does. He cares about you over and over and over again. Seventh and eighth, the phase when nothing you do is cool, okay? <laughs> Everything is fun if it's done in a crowd. One smart kid will keep reminding you, yeah, I know. I know everything. I got it all together. Teach yourself that you actually don't know. Only Jesus does. Remind yourself that Jesus actually knows and will pull you through. Ninth, the phase when friendships shift and grades start to count more and interest changes so often that your teenager has to explain, this is me now. Today, this is me. Tomorrow, this is me now. I'm constantly changing. I have no idea what I'm doing, but this is me now. Use this time to reassert yourself in Jesus and say, help me grow. Help me mature. Tenth, the phase when everyone else and nobody else has to, and your resolute teen will push you to answer this. Why not? Why not? I'm constantly asking this question. Use this time in your prayer life and say, God, why not? Stretch me more. Push me harder. Eleventh, the phase when there's less drama and more stress and your very busy teenager answers all your questions with this. Just trust me. I got it. I'm okay. Use this time to actually start placing your trust in Jesus Christ, your worries, and trust Jesus more. The twelfth, the phase when your emerging adult pulls away, then gets closer, does things for the first time, and you both start asking the question, what's next? <laughs> Use this time to explore all the doors that are open to you. Eighteen plus, the phase when your emerging adults pull away, and they need you again, and does things for the first time, and you both keep and asking, what now is going to happen? Use this time to embrace the future, to see your potential. And here we accelerate it, 20 to 30. The phase when you consider which school you're going to go to and how many times you're going to change your manger, about 16, parents be warned, apparently they change it on average 16 times, and the question they're going to be asking is this, what's the rush? <laughs> There's no problem. Use this in time to enjoy the freedom that Jesus has given you as well. How can you live a life in Jesus with joy? Then the next stage, 30 to 60, this is a phase where you typically want to settle your career and you're supposed to be the most fulfilling years of your life and you start to ask yourself this question, is this it? Use that time 
to enjoy how to play in the middle of all the complexities of life, to experience the joy of Jesus with your family, with your church, with your community. 60 to 90 plus, the phase when you consider where you will retire and how your life you have lived thus far shapes what you will do. And you will ask yourself this question, what legacy am I leaving behind? Use this time, this deep assurance time that Jesus has given you that his presence in your life, as Billy Graham once said this, the gifts and the call of God never ends. And so as long as you have breath in your life, God is calling you to leave a legacy on others as well. My, um, my very first game of rugby, um, I remember this really vividly. I, I went out into the field, and, uh, and as I was out there, I was trying to explain, my teacher, uh, a PE teacher, was trying to explain to me uh, what happens in rugby. Um, and said, this is the goal, this is the ball, and the goal is to take this ball all the way to the other side, right? That's the goal. And you've got to like pass the ball around and make sure nobody tackles you. And I said, I got it. My teacher, PE teacher, was very excited about me. He, he looked at my build. I was the same then that I am now. And he said, you're going to kill all these kids. I said, I know, it's great. And so uh, I said, give me the ball any point you can. And within about a minute, this is my first game of rugby, I got the ball and I started running. And these kids from the opposite team were running towards me. So I clenched my fist. And I started running and I said, get out of my way. And I was threatening every child coming towards me. And every child was normal. So they were thin like sticks. And as they saw me, like a rhino running towards them, like, ah! my fist was double the size of their head. It was scary. And I ran and I held the ball tight, got to the other side, threw the ball down. And my PE teacher's like looking at me like, what are you doing? And I said, but I scored. He said, don't you threaten life and death? This is not how we do this. You have to do that secretly without them seeing. So. The problem is that sometimes we, we have the wrong tools, right, for the game, the game of life. And, and God talks to us about this in, in Galatians chapter 6. He says, you've got the wrong tools. You've heard the wrong story of the gospel. You think it's left and right, and you think it's legalistic or not. You think it's like this picture of God that's kind of warped. You've never heard the gospel pure. And so you're running through the field, clenched fist. You get to the other side. You've never enjoyed the game. You never passed the ball and worked as a team and enjoyed the ability of building community and serving each other so that it's not about you scoring, but about the whole team scoring together. So he comes to the end here in Galatians chapter 6, and he says this in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was the scandal for the Jews. They couldn't believe that their Messiah was going to die on a cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is not a twinkling in an eye moment that Paul's talking about here. This is creation. This is life. This is the fruit. It takes time. You want to be a follower of Jesus? It's not overnight. It's a journey. It's a lifetime. And when you come towards the end of that journey, you will have realized that you left a legacy on so many other people that they too have discovered Jesus themselves.